Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews and Hebrews in chapter number 11. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 11. We're continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom and we're hitting the nuts and bolts and we're getting to the fine point of the specific area that we're at. We've been talking a little bit more about how God has a place for us in the millennial kingdom and that he has a job and responsibilities for us. We talked about specifically that two of the offices that he has for us is priest and king. The idea of priest is someone who's going to be able to communicate and teach the word of God to others. And we made the application that if you won't read your Bible now, why should God trust you to teach your teach the Bible later. If you're not willing to learn more about God's word now, why should God trust you to teach God's word later? The idea of kings carries the idea of ruling, but not the idea that you may think you're not having people serve you. Your job of ruling is going to help kind of uh, give an understanding to have the idea of discernment between two parties. That you're going to have to judge between parties. Remember, there's going to be people that have a natural body who are born in the millennial. They're still going to have a sin nature and there's going to be disputes. And that if you don't have enough discernment about where people are at now and how to help them now, why should God put you in that position later? Now we're coming to the fine point, something that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of Scripture, is going to place a great emphasis on, and we'll look at that in a second, but we want to start in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and we want to discover a very interesting phrase. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and let's get a good running start for context sake. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection." And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder. Were tempted and slain with the sword. And they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted 
tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11, and notice with me verse 35, notice the phrase, better resurrection. Better resurrection. If you don't mind, as we go together in the Lord prayer, and then we will preach about this better resurrection. Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, that you would help us to give an understanding about this better resurrection, that we could obtain it ourselves, that we could see what you have to say, and that we would strive for it. Lord, this is a powerful message, and I know that if I do it, I'll be in the way. So the best I know how, I'm asking for you to take my mind, my thoughts, my goals, my ambitions, my desires, my strength. They're all yours now, Lord. Please, I'm trying to get as far away as I can from this, that you have to do your own work. You have to preach your word, make it clear, make it understood, and that you let people to be ready to receive this. Because we know that more than just right now is on the line, that we may obtain a better resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we could trust you in this. Draw your people near today in Jesus' name. Amen. What an interesting phrase that we find in here that they may obtain a better resurrection. Now the context here is that it is dealing with the subject of faith. All throughout Hebrews 11, it is often called the hall of faith. Just like you would have a hall of fame, this is the hall of faith. And what you see is that each one of these folks here, it says by faith, and then it gives a name, but then it also shows the action. We also learn from here that faith always produces action. Someone who says, I have faith, I have faith, and they do nothing, they don't have faith. Faith always produces action. And so it goes forth. It starts by faith. Uh, notice, if you don't mind, as we just do a quick little survey, uh, Hebrews, 11, <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. And then it says, by faith in verse 9. And verse 10, through faith, Sarah. Once again, as it continues on, notice in verse 17, by faith, Abraham. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. Verse 24, by faith, Moses. <coughs> notice again it in verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho. Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab. And then verse 32 where we started off, it says, I don't have time to tell you about the other people live by faith. I just got to tell you what the first couple books of the Bible said, but there's more. There are people who live by faith. What is faith, by the way? Well, faith is described in 
Hebrews 11, but faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 12. Notice really quickly Hebrews 12 verse 2. This is a good definition of faith. Hebrews 12 2, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. What is faith? Remember, faith is not how much I have as regard to the object of my faith. There's a lot of people who have faith in environmentalism, but it's the wrong object. I have faith in the government. Well, first, we feel sorry for you. Second of all, (laughs) that it's the wrong object. It's not how much faith you have as much as it is the object you are placing your faith into. So biblical faith is Uh, looking unto Jesus. And when we look unto Jesus and follow after him, faith produces action and we get to see amazing things occur. By faith, by faith, by looking unto Jesus, these actions will occur. Verse 32 speaks about by faith. I can't tell you about these other people who live by faith. And we have some interesting names there that are mentioned by faith. Verse 33, it goes on and says, here we can tell you more people. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. Each one of these refers to a biblical story of a, something that happened. It's not arbitrary. It's an historical thing that they looked unto Jesus. They followed after him. Their faith produced action. And because of their action, these miracles occurred by faith, by faith. Notice if you don't mind, verse 34, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again by faith. Again, these are biblical stories. But notice, starting at verse 35 in the middle of it, it now switches from the positive stories, the victorious stories, to stories where it doesn't seem like they have victory, but yet they're receiving lots of victory. Why? Because notice this phrase, verse 35, women received their dead to life again and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Why? That they may obtain a better resurrection. The idea better, without a doubt, we are taught this at a young age, is a comparison. That means you are comparing one thing to another. If I don't have anything to compare it to, then I can't say it's better. If this is the only cereal in existence, it can't be better than any other cereal if it's the only one. There has to be something to compare it to. What are we comparing? We are comparing resurrections. There is a better resurrection for some than others. Now we've already explored that when it says resurrection, oftentimes it is referring to the time of the millennial kingdom. Do you know that there are some people that will have a better time in the millennial kingdom than other people? Now this is a source of contention because people don't like this. People like to imagine that the millennial kingdom is heaven. Now in heaven, there's going to be more equality, more, um, of this and that, because we're not going to remember the former world. God's going to erase it. Everything's going to work different. The millennial kingdom, not so. In the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. And when he rules and reign, he wants to put people in charge that 
he can trust and that they are going to enjoy the resurrection, the millennial kingdom more than others. There are some people that will have a better resurrection. Why do I say this? Because this is the main point that everything we do in this life as a Christian affects the next. And if you could be told for the next thousand years that you are going to not enjoy your experience as much as others, wouldn't you want to know about it? Wouldn't you want to know that there's a way that you could enjoy the next? I mean, a thousand years is a long time. There are some of you who are just enduring the next couple moments. There are some of you who will enjoy the next couple moments better than others. True. Well, a couple moments, half an hour, however long I preach is a small amount of time compared to a thousand years. If you could be told that for a thousand years you can have a better experience than others and you could do something about it now, wouldn't you want to? There is a way that we can have a better resurrection. Now notice in verse 35 it gives a specific example. Women received their dead to life, uh, raised life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Here's a picture, a real life thing that's repeated itself in history. Here's a person that said, I believe Jesus Christ. Because he believed in Jesus Christ, he is arrested. And now he is tortured. And they say, if you renounce Jesus Christ, we'll let you go. We'll say that you learned your lesson. We, we are part of the inquisition. We went ahead and purified you in your faith. And if you deny your faith in Jesus Christ right now, we will let you go saying that you learned your lesson. Well, you have the choice of dying or being let go. And people chose to die. They chose to continue their torture. Why? That they may obtain a better resurrection. There's something to this. That there are people that made the choice to continue to be tortured. Now, I don't know anybody who wants to be tortured. I mean, there may be someone crazy in here, but nobody wants to hurt. But here are some people that chose to allow the hurt to go on that they may obtain a better resurrection. What does this mean and how do I get a better resurrection? Is it just because of my actions? Is it just because of something I do? Is it because I brave something? Well, if you don't mind, let's start off just explaining that there is some better things. First of all, there is a better judgment. A better judgment. We start at the very beginning. There are two different types of judgments that people can go to. You could go to the white throne judgment, which is mentioned in Revelation 20, or you can go to the Bema seat judgment or what is often called the judgment seat of Christ. Those are two different judgments and one of them is better. The white throne judgment mentioned in Revelation 20. In fact, let's just turn there. Revelation 20. So Revelation's the last book of the Bible. Revelation 20 is towards the last part of Revelation. Revelation 20. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 11. Revelation 20 and verse number 11. 
And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great. Now notice this phrase small and great carries the idea of small sinners or great sinners. It doesn't matter how much sin you've done as long as you've sinned, you're headed to the white throne judgment as you are. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books, notice the books plural, were open. And another book was opened, which was called the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written to the books according to their works. So at the white throne judgment, anyone who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their savior will have to stand before God at this judgment. And at this judgment, you are not going to be found guilty. You're already found guilty. This judgment is to sentence those who are condemned already. What do I have to do to be condemned? The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. It says, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. In fact, let's see a little bit more. Notice with me in verse number uh, 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now we'll have a whole message on this later, but this judgment is for those who never accepted Jesus as their personal savior. And they're not being judged for, uh, they are being judged and sentenced because of their sins and cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. That is a bad judgment. There was another judgment that people can face, and this is called the judgment seat of Christ. In the judgment seat of Christ, I am not being judged for my sins. In order to go to this judgment, I have to allow Jesus to have already paid my price on the cross of Calvary. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That the moment that I realize that I'm a sinner and because of my sins I've offended a holy righteous God, but I realize that Jesus died for me and I personally accept that payment that he made for me. I accept the terms. I accept him to be my savior. I am now going to a different judgment. Now the judgment seat of Christ, I am not being judged for my sins. I'm being judged of my labors for Christ and what sort they are. I'm not going to be sentenced to hell. I'm going to receive rewards or loss of rewards. So here are two judgments. One of them is better. One of them is to be sentenced to the lake of fire. The other one is to get rewards or lose rewards if I didn't do anything. Which one is better? Well, definitely the one where I'm getting rewards. That's better than being sentenced to hell. We understand that. There is a better judgment that we can face. Well, in addition, we can have a better reward. A better reward. This is what it's being talking about, about this better resurrection. That when I am raised from the dead into the millennial kingdom and I get my brand new body, we will not have the same rewards. Some of us will have different rewards. Well, the question is, is well, how can I get the best reward? Do I go slay a dragon? 
How do I get the best reward? Do I do something magnificent? Do I pay a million dollars? How do I get this better reward? That is a great question. And it is one the Apostle Paul takes time to answer in the book of Philippians chapter 3. And if you don't mind, we're going to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. This is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. And let's look at Philippians chapter 3 as Paul will actually explain about this better resurrection. How do we get this better resurrection? Well, notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of Philippians chapter 3. The book of Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is writing at the zenith, the height of his, the ministry that God had given to him. Notice, if you don't mind, as we break this down, the first thing that we see here in Philippians chapter 3 is that I worship God by the Spirit. I worship God by the Spirit. Philippians chapter 3. I worship God by the Spirit. We're going to remain in Philippians 3 for the rest of the time. Notice in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's almost like we've heard this phrase a couple times already this morning. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to indeed is not grievous, but to you is safe. Now, as the Apostle Paul is writing this, he's actually quoting a different um, source. And he's saying, I'm, as we're repeating this poetical thing, he doesn't mind doing it. He says, I know I've told you before, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. But as a poet just said, to write the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but to you it is safe, saying, listen, you need to hear it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Hey, and in case you didn't catch it, rejoice in the Lord. That's where we're starting, rejoicing in the Lord. That if we're going to have a better resurrection, what we're understanding is that I have to worship God. My eyes have to be on Him. Notice as it goes on verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of concision. Now, he says, if we're going to rejoice in the Lord and we're going to follow after him, then we have to be careful against deceivers that are going to get our minds off the Lord. He says, beware of dogs. Remember that God refers to his people as sheep. The idea of dogs is the idea of wolves or things. There are going to be people who are trying to keep your eyes off of the Lord. They want to get you to... Uh, they want to complain. They want you to be distracted. They want to do everything they can to stop you from rejoicing. By the way, we know plenty of things like that. Amen. They're trying to keep us from rejoicing in God. Beware of evil workers. The same thing. There are people who are working very hard to keep us from looking at the Lord. Beware of the concision. The word concision carries the idea of, of cutting it, it's a term used only here, but it's referred to the Jewish people because of their circumcision. Beware of those that are trying to get you to stuck into deceivers, that are trying to get you to uh, follow uh, religion rather than follow after God. Notice they go on. He says in verse number four, this is going to be a big deal. Uh, verse three, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ. Notice this and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, if I want a better resurrection, I have to keep my mind on the Lord and I have to recognize that I can't do it. I have no confidence in the flesh. I can't live the Christian life I ought to live. I'm going to fail. 
I can't maintain my thought life the way I ought to. I'm going to fail. I can't rejoice the way I ought to. I'm going to fail. I can't have confidence in my flesh. I have to trust God and depend upon him. My eyes have to be upon God. I have to worship God with my spirit. Dead to self, not trusting my own flesh. So we understand that if we're going to talk about how do I get a better resurrection? You don't do it by your flesh. You don't do it by what you can do. It's by looking at God and following after him. Notice the second thing here, that if we are going to have a better resurrection, we understand that God is my goal. God is my goal. Notice with me in verse four, chapter three, verse four. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath wherefore that he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now, the Apostle Paul says, listen, maybe there's some person out there that thinks that you are the greatest, that you think you're the cat's meow, the bee's knees, that you think that you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. He says, if you want to try to compare something foolishly, you want to think that you're great. Listen, if I could brag about the flesh, I would be top dog. Notice what he says. Verse five, circumcised the eighth day. In fact, verse four again, though I may have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath wherefore he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcise the eighth day. What he's saying is, listen, I've been obeying the law since I was eight days old. How are you doing? I've been obeying the Bible since I was eight days old. He says of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Listen, you can't find a more religious person than I was. I had the right stock. I had the right pedigree. I had the right training. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Verse number uh, six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He says, listen, you want to talk about zeal. There was no one more zealous for the Lord than I was. I dragged people out of their homes and killed them for God's sake. For God's name. He says, I traveled to foreign countries to drag people out. I, listen, nobody was more zealous for God than I was. You know that people can have zeal for the Lord and trusting their own self and not doing it right. But he says, listen, if we're, we're, we're going on zeal, no one's more zealous than me. Most people are too lazy to go be that zealous. Notice as he goes on, in touching the law, blameless. Listen, you want to take the Old Testament law? You couldn't find anything wrong. I worked hard to keep the law. I worked hard. You couldn't find anyone who was a better example of a Jew than I was. Notice as he goes on, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, I count loss for Christ. He says, all those things, you know what those things did? Is they kept me away from God. Our biggest strengths become our greatest weaknesses. Because as long as we are trusting in something, we will, other than God. There are many people, your greatest uh, uh, weakness is your intellect. You are smart and you feel like you could solve all the world's problems if they would just listen to you. As long as you're trusting your intellect, you won't trust God. There are some of you who have physical health. Listen, I've got great health. I can do this. Listen, as long as you can trust your health, you won't trust God. 
Some of you say, well, I've got great force of will. Just by my will alone, I could get people to do things. As long as you're trusting your will, you won't trust God. Paul says, all those things I count but loss. All of those things that I were trusting in, my pedigree, my example, my training. Listen, I was trained by the greatest teacher of Judaism had ever known, Gamaliel. At 12 years old, Paul left Tarsus, the education center of, of the ancient world, and moved to Jerusalem to study under the greatest teacher. No one had a better Jewish education than Paul had. And Paul says, it was a waste. I count it but loss. It was in the way because I trust my education more than I trusted God. I trusted my pedigree more than God. I trusted my heritage, my intellect, my zeal. And I count it but loss because it kept me from trusting God. It was in the way. Verse number eight. He says, yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ the Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He says, you want to know what the greatest thing is? Making God my goal. Learning more about God. Having the knowledge of Christ. That word knowledge is an interesting word here. It carries the idea to know by experience. One of the problems we have in our modern Christianity is that we know more about Christ doctrinally, whereas the Old Testament saints knew more about Christ personally. That what happens is that people get satisfied with their little knowledge of Christ. Well, he was born in Bethlehem, yay. Well, you can know facts and figures and not know Christ. He says, anything that kept me from knowing Christ personally, I count but loss. It was like dung. It's waste matter. It's in the way. God needs to be your goal. If you're going to have a better resurrection, by the way, we're going to get into that in the text. But if you want to have a better resurrection, your goal is not what you can get done. Your goal is knowing God more. Amen. Knowing who he is. Notice as he goes on, verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is by God by faith. Notice twice it says faith. Remember, we started in the book of Hebrews by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And as they followed by faith, they followed God, that faith produced action, and that action produced a better resurrection. He says, listen, if we go and examine the law, I'm righteous. I did everything I could, but that righteousness kept me away. I didn't need to live off my own righteousness. I needed to live by faith, looking unto Jesus, trusting in him, following after what he says, not what I think should be done, following him. Now, verse number 10, what's the purpose? That I may know him. That I may know him. My goal is God that I may know him intellectually. I know him by experience. I know him personally. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now notice, because Christ lives, I can know him personally. By the power of his resurrection, I can now have a relationship with him. Notice this. And the fellowship of a suffering. Now notice this, 
How do we get to know God intimately and personally? Suffering. Suffering. I get to know God and the times that is uncomfortable to me and I have to trust him because I can't trust myself. Why do some people not know anything about Christ? They're not willing to suffer. When those people who were tortured, they knew something about Christ. In Vietnam, we have many of the soldiers who were captured by the Viet Cong. And they said an amazing thing would happen. They would give testimony of those who had known Christ when they were put into the POW camps. Is that they would be tortured. And as they would be tortured, they said that the presence of God was so real. And it was so real that when the torturers let them go and put, put back in their cage, that the people would say, can you put me back on the torture rack? Why would you want to go back to the torture rack? Because God was so real to me then. I knew Christ and he was real. He was present. And I want to be back there with his presence. It didn't make sense. Many of those people were trusted Christ as their savior because someone was willing to suffer with Christ and trust him. And depend upon him. By the way, that idea has been repeated for the last 2,000 years. Whether it was dealing with the Catholic church who was burning Christians. Whether it was the Roman soldiers burning the first century church. Whether it was onward and forward to even POW camps. When people were saying, I was suffering. And I looked to the Lord and I knew I couldn't trust myself. God was so real. The fellowship of his suffering. Where do we learn about God? When we have to trust in him. When we have to depend upon him. Going through hard times. There is no easy way to follow God. There's no easy way to know God. It is only by experience. And as long as we don't need God, we will not trust him. As long as my bills are paid, I don't have to trust God for my bills. As long as I have my health, I don't have to trust God with my health. As long as I got my intellect, I don't have to trust God with my intellect. It is only through the hard times when those abilities can't work for us anymore that we realize that God is so real in our suffering, in our helplessness. God can be so real when we're looking at him. Now, someone may say, well, a lot of people suffer. Yeah, but if they're not looking unto Jesus, they're not getting closer to him. There are many people who hurt without looking at Christ. But when you learn to trust in Christ and look at him, he is more real than ever before. And you know him personally because he's right there with you. The fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means, no, notice this, I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. That word obtain is a very important word here. The idea of obtain carries the idea of arriving or being put in a privileged group. He says, what I'm looking for is a better resurrection. I am obtaining, I'm working to be part of a privileged group of the resurrection of the dead. He says, I'm looking forward not to this life, but to the next life. That God can give me a reward I'm obtaining, I'm striving for, that I may have a better resurrection. 
Now, may I point out here that he says, I might obtain. That means that he hasn't obtained it yet. This is the apostle Paul. He's already started multiple churches. Thousands of people have come to know Christ as his savior through the ministry of the apostle Paul. That 14 books of the Bible are going to be penned by Paul. And yet he says, listen, I'm not done enough. Because I'm still following after him. I'm still chasing after him. He's my goal. I'm after him. And if I follow after him, my goal is that I may obtain, that I may have a special part that he puts me there, that I may have a better resurrection. May I say that the better resurrection doesn't come with your activity as much as it does your following after Christ. Is God your goal? You know, you can do a lot of activity and God not be your goal. You can look for the notch in the belt. You can look for that bragging thing. You can do a lot of things without doing it for God's glory and God's honor. But the goal has to be God. I'm following after him. I'm reading my Bible that I may know him more. I'm singing praises to him because I want to look at him. I'm not just checking off a box. To obtain, to follow after him, you will never get that better resurrection by saying, well, I read my chapter for today. I checked off the box. You must be having God as your goal to pursue after him. Now again, Paul is saying, I haven't got there yet. I'm still following after Christ. And then we look at people that think they did God a great favor for showing up Sunday morning. You didn't do God any favors by showing up. You're just doing what God's asked you to do. And if you don't come back Sunday night, you're not doing what God's told you to do. You haven't done God any favors. Are you following after him? Is he your goal? That word obtained is a big deal. It's the same as we see a better resurrection. My goal is God. And my goal is to follow after him. So I could be a better instrument and better used of him in the resurrection. That should be our goal. By the way, that's why some people will enjoy the millennial kingdom more than others. Because they're usable by God. If you found out what your purpose of life is and you never did your purpose of what you meant to do, you know how miserable people are? Even today, people today, they have no purpose and they don't know what their purpose is because they don't have any purpose. They're miserable if you don't fulfill your purpose. Why are there going to be some people in the millennial kingdom who's miserable? Because they're not able to fulfill the purpose of following after God in the millennial kingdom. They're like, well, you didn't trust God now. We're going to set you aside. What we're in right now is a lifelong job application. Of where God is going to place us in his kingdom. It's his kingdom. He could have every right to put people in whatever position he wants. And right now, we're in a job interview. We're qualifying. Paul is saying, I'm doing this that I may obtain here. I want to be usable of God. And in order to do that, God has to be my goal. He has to be the reason why I'm doing it. Following after him, being faithful unto him. Notice verse 12. Not as though I've already obtained, meaning I haven't got it yet. Either we're already perfect or spiritually mature, but I follow after that I may apprehend for that which I am also apprehended of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I haven't got there yet, but my goal is God and that's what I'm going for. If I could get a hold of God, if I could know everything about him, I've also gained everything that I'm supposed to gain. 
following after him. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Notice this, this one thing I do. D.L. Moody said it's better to say this one thing I do than these 40 things that I dabble with. What's the one thing? Is that one thing in your life to pursue after Christ? Or do you got a lot of little things that kind of water it down? The one thing. The one thing I do. Forgetting those things which were behind. And reaching for those things which are before. Which before him. Christ. I'm going after him and the things that he has for me. I'm reaching for. I'm not worried about the past. I'm not worried about behind. I'm not trusting in those things. I'm reaching before. One more step. I'm going forward. One more step. I'm getting closer to him. One more step. I want to have him. One more step. I'm following after him. One more step. The one thing I do. The one thing of your goal of your life should be my goal is God my goal isn't God and something else my goal isn't God this this and this the, the less the more goals that you have the less that you're doing with the main goal my goal is God that's my purpose to know him to have him to apprehend him to chase after him my goal has to be God and if I have him and I pleased him and I live by faith, I will have that better resurrection. The one thing I do, verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is my goal? My goal is God. I press forward to the mark. I go to the finish line. What is the finish line? It's Christ himself. I press forward to the mark. I'm chase after him. I pursue after him. Paul also continues as we're breaking down this chapter. I find those who follow Christ. I find those that follow Christ. Verse 15. Let us therefore. So because of all this thing I told you. Because of God being our goal. As many as be perfect or spiritually mature. Be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it this unto you. Notice verse 15. If God is not your goal, you need to change goals. And if God is someone's goal, spiritually mature people can tell. It is hilarious and heartbreaking to find someone who is not spiritual pretend to be spiritual. Because it reeks. I don't read my Bible, but let me tell you the things that's in the Bible. It's hilarious and heartbreaking. Spiritual minded, spiritually mature people will be able to find others. And Paul says, I want to surround myself by others that have God their goal. Because if we have enough of us that God's our goal, we're going forward together. Because he's the goal. We're moving forward. That's what we want is to be surrounded by like-minded people who have God as their goal. That we could press forward to the mark together and be an encouragement. Notice as it goes on. He says, if you have any other goal, if any other thing ye be like otherwise minded, if God's not your goal, God shall reveal it this even unto you. This should be your prayer. If God's not your goal, you should say, God, show me what my goal is so I could switch goals. Tell me what my goal really is. Are you brave enough to ask that? Do you want God enough to ask that? Is there something else that's distracting me from making you my goal? 
Verse number 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an in example. Notice that word in example. That word in example is a little bit different than an example. An example is a small pattern to follow. For example, if I'm going to do a math test, they will often have a sample of how to do the problem. That's one small thing. An in example is a pattern to follow for life. Notice again, verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them. That's a good phrase. Mark them. That person, that person, mark them which walk so as ye have us an example. So if you have someone that has God as their goal and maybe they've made God their goal in their Bible reading, man, mark them and learn what they're doing. How do I read my Bible that way? You have someone who's following after God and has learned to get a hold of God in their prayer life. Follow after that person and learn. How do I talk to God like you talk to him? Someone who's walked after God in any other area. Follow after them. Paul's in a good example. He made God their goal and follow after them. What did the apostle Paul do? Let's be like that. I'm thankful that God has given us examples that we could follow after. What do they look like? What do they taste like? What do they act like? How do they behave? Follow after them. If there's someone that's really learned this idea of following after Christ, get close to them and learn from them. Verse 18, For many walk of whom I tell you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Unfortunately, not everyone's running the same race that we're running. Those who aren't running for Christ, they're the enemies of God. This is why you need to be careful with your friends. If you have a friend that is not following after Christ, you're going to end up not following after Christ. If your friend doesn't have a desire to read their Bible, they're not an example to hang out with. Find a different friend. Well, I don't want to hurt my friend. Listen, what's your goal? If your goal is God, surround yourself with those who have the same goal. As a pastor, we have a phrase, like attracts like. At camp, it's an amazing thing. You'll have kids who have never been to camp ever before. You give them a couple minutes, they'll find their crowd. They will find their crowd. Why? Like attracts like. If the people that you hang out with don't love the Lord, well, remember, like attracts like. If you are uncomfortable around spiritual people, that may be an issue. God needs to be your goal. Remember, we need to set aside anything and count it but loss if it keeps us from following after Christ, including our friends, including those around us who claim to be spiritual who are not. Set them aside. Move forward. God should be your goal. Notice as he finishes this up. Verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence 
also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. The Apostle Paul says, listen, our goal is the Savior. And my goal is that one day I'm going to get a brand new body that won't be able to fail and sin against God anymore. And this brand new body, I'm, God's going to be able to use it as he sees fit to help in that kingdom. My goal is God and my goal is so that way I could be usable of God both in this world and in the next. So when we talk about a better resurrection, how do we get a better resurrection? It's not by what we do. It's determined on what our goal is. Faith will produce action, but our goal has to be God. And if our goal is God and we're following after him, next step, next step, next step, we will have a better resurrection than those who decide not to follow after Christ. There's going to be a lot of street sweepers up in the millennial kingdom. That's all they could be trusted with. They can't be trusted to be in the king, uh, serve in the kingdom to ministrate. I'm mean, glad you're here, but don't you want to do more than just a street sweeper? Don't you want to be used of God in some way? Not in just this world, but the next. It comes when God is our goal. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.